Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to this here episode number 181 of Sober Speak. You'll be hearing so much from Mr. Barry L. in a moment, but first things first. This episode right here, right now, is brought to you by Kit and Sean and Dave and Anna and Laura and Kurt and Terry and Todd. So you ask yourself, what does it? That what is it, John M., that prompts you to bring up those names at the beginning of this episode? Well, let me tell you. Kit and Sean and Dave and Anna and Laura and Kurt and Terry and Todd went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little PayPal tab and they made a contribution to help keep our virtual lights on. Thank you, Kit. And Sean and Dave and Anna and Laura and Kurt and Terry and Todd, this episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. And remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you're welcome here. It is an open table, and we are glad that you have come to join us today. Appreciate you. All right, so quite honestly, I'm trying to keep my energy level a little up, but it's hard. And let me tell you why. Because it's a Sunday afternoon, and we just, I say we, I was part of a group that just went to a recovery yoga session that Megan P. puts on for free every Sunday afternoon. The first half of it is a meeting, and then the second half of it is a yoga and meditation. And she has me so relaxed, but uh, I, I am trying my best to keep the energy up. But it really was a great session. Uh, it was it was so wonderful. It, it's really great to spend time with not only Megan, but you all and get to see you and participate in a little yoga class and a, uh, a meeting with you at the same time. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and as Emily said, as we were getting off the recovery yoga 
session today. She says, I had no idea how much I needed this. And I concur, Emily. I I felt the same way. After I was through with it, I was going, man, I'm glad I took time out of my day to join in with Megan. Uh, It was absolutely fantastic. And then, and this is a quote, I I asked JD if I could talk about this actually on the podcast. Uh, And JD from uh, St. Augustine said when he was sharing, well, let me put it this way. The meeting topic was a combination of step 11, intuitive thought, pause when agitated and jd from uh, saint augustine was on there and he he talked about attending an aloha step a meeting uh, excuse me step 11 meeting in florida for an extended period of time when he first got sober and he said he looked around the room and the best he could tell is that none of the people in the room were sorcerers or magicians <laughs> But they were, but they were benefiting from meditation, and I don't know why, but that just cracked me up. He talked about the sorcerers and magicians. Uh, thanks for sharing that, uh, JD, and thanks for allowing me to to share that with the listeners on this podcast. If you are interested in joining us some Sunday afternoon, it is Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. Central. Go to our website, SoberSpeak.com. Click on Sober Resources, and all of the login information is available there, and you are more than welcome to join Megan while she leads us through the process. All right, now on to Mr. Barry L. Okay, so this is actually a recording that I came across. Oh, J.S., who has appeared on the uh, podcast before, actually provided me this recording, and, and I was fascinated by it, so I wanted to share it with you all. So this is a recording that addresses the origin of the third tradition given at the 50th anniversary convention of Alcoholics Anonymous in Montreal in July of 1985. The audience listening to Barry is over 1,000 people of the LGBTQ community. Barry is uh, from New York. Barry L. And, And here's another thing that you need to know. Barry is the author of the book Living Sober. Uh, I had no idea. If you ever look at the book Living Sober, if you've ever seen it, it's that yellow book. And uh, you will notice that the book says uh, authored by Anonymous. And Barry is the author of that book. And I know he was close to Bill and Lois. And uh, another thing that's real important, uh, that is real important to note, is that Barry actually passed away three weeks after giving this talk that you're about to listen to. But nonetheless, I found it fascinating, and I'm going to be maybe posting some uh, additional, um, maybe not interview type of uh, episodes, uh, but more this, like AA history type of episodes when I come across them and I'm uh, drawn in by them like this. And so I I hope you like it as well. I'd love to get your feedback on this. Uh, I'm at John. John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. So nonetheless, sit back, enjoy Barry, and we'll have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Now I think I'm going to go do a little uh, 
relaxing and enjoy the state that Ms. Megan P. has put me into in this meditative state. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Would you please uh, help me welcome our first speaker this morning, who is Barry L. from New York. Bonjour, mes amis. My name is Barry, and I am an alcoholic. Je m'appelle Barry, et je suis alcoolique, et I have just exhausted my French vocabulary. <laughs> and to me, t- today, that feels like a stinging character defect, because I do so love this beautiful city and the marvelous hospitality we have been shown. Isn't it nice to be at another intimate little meeting of just us? <laughs> it's a double whammy, you know, not only drunks and drunks and drunks and alanons, uh, but also my tomboy sisters and my sissy brothers. <laughs> this is not the way it was when I joined AA in 1945. We weren't in closets. We were sealed in vaults. <laughs> and I'm going to steal a line from another Barry, Sir J. M. Barry. When you go home, ask your grandmother who he was. Um, <laughs> He wrote a play called Peter Pan. And I've always wanted to say this line, but never before had the chance. Do you believe in fairies? <laughs> That's unfair, but um, <clears throat> I enjoyed it. I want to talk a little bit about our third tradition and the way it got started, instead of talking about my drinking or any of those dull things. I'm going to read first from the book Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, two or three lines written by Bill and published in 1952. And you will hear this language that I'm going to read in just a few moments in another voice. And I think the next time you get to read the book Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, you might hear this in a different way. On the AA calendar, it was the year two. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling, nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. A newcomer appeared at one of the groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. He talked frankly with the group's oldest member. He soon proved that his was a desperate case, and that above all, he wanted to get well. 
But he asked, will you let me join your group? Since I am the victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism, you may not want me among you. Or will you? There was the dilemma. What should the group do? A few years ago, a friend of mine called me and said, I just found a tape that might interest you. <clears throat> he collects tapes, wrong. And um, he said, this is a tape Bill made in 1968 at an open meeting. It was the opening night meeting of the General Service Conference, and there were lots of guests there, so this wasn't at an open meeting. And uh, it, he made a talk on all the traditions, and I'm going to play just what he said about Tradition 3. At about year two of the Akron group, a poor devil came to Dr. Bob in a grievous state. He could qualify as an alcoholic, all right. And then he said, Dr. Bob, I've got a real problem to pose you. I don't know if I could join AA because I'm a sex deviate. Well, that had to go out to the group conscience, you know. Up to then, it was supposed that uh, any society could say who was going to join it. And pretty soon, the group conscience began to seethe and boil, and it boiled over. And under no circumstances could we have such a power and such a disgrace among us, said a great man. And you know, right then our destiny hung on a razor edge over this single case. In other words, would there be rules that could exclude so-called undesirability? And that caused us in that time, and for quite a time, respecting this single case, to ponder what is the more important the reputation that we shall have, what people shall think, or is it our character? And who are we, considering our record? Alcoholism is quite as unlovely. Who are we to deny a man his opportunity? Any man. Or woman. And finally, the day of resolution came. And a bunch were sitting in Dr. Bob's living room arguing what to do. Whereupon, dear old Bob looked around and blandly said, isn't it time, folks, to ask ourselves, what would the master do in a situation like this? Would he turn this man away? And that was the beginning of the A tradition, that any man who has a drinking problem is a member of AA if he says so, not whether we say so. Now, I think that the import of this on the common welfare 
has already been staggered because it takes in even more territory than the confines of our fellowship. It takes in the whole world of alcohol. Their charter to freedom to join AA is assured. Indeed, it was an act in general welfare. There are copies of the transcript of that tape in the International Advisory Council Hospitality Room in case you want one. In my own experience, during the year 1945, I was taken to have lunch with Bill by three wonderful ladies, three of whom were, uh, who happened to be among the six ink-stained wretches who started the grapevine. And the question that arose at lunch was this. We see a great many people arrive in AA who may be bisexual or homosexual, and they don't seem to stay sober. They arrive and stay just a little while and they disappear. Don't you think it might be a good idea, Bill, for us to have special meetings for these people? And Bill said, well, it might be the greatest thing in the pike. They're coming down the pike. How long have you been sober, Barry? And I said, oh, about 11 months, almost a year. And he said, well, now you can stay sober another day or two, can't you? And I said, yes. <laughs> you have friends, obviously, yes. Well, now, when you've been sober 18 months... I wish you'd come back and talk to me again about this, because I want to think about it, and uh, let me know what you think in 18 after you've been sober 18 months. I forgot to go back and have that conversation, because by then there were so many of us, it didn't seem very necessary. <laughs> I also had the experience that the first year, sitting on the desk at our old um, clubhouse in Manhattan, which is part of... One of the chores we could do, we would take turns sitting at the desk, answering the telephone, and greeting visitors. And one day, the policeman on the corner sent in to see us a black man. That in itself was unusual in Manhattan in 1945. We had no black AA members then. We were not to really start having black members until 1946. But the black man came in. And he had long blonde hair, a la Veronica Lake. <laughs> he was also a master cosmetician. He was a wonder with a paintbrush on his face. <clears throat> he was absolutely beautiful. But strapped to his back were all his worldly belongings, and he said he had just been released from prison and he needed help. He began to tell us what his problems were. Among others, he said he was homosexual and he had, um, uh, he was a dope fiend. And he had no place to stay and he had no money and nothing to eat. What could be done? I asked a number of the older t members around at that time what they thought I should do and they all left. <laughs> Not all, I shouldn't say that. One dear old soul, a gal named Fanny, stayed and tried very hard to help. But she couldn't get very far. She didn't really know the answer to this, so I said, I'm going to call the person I know has been sober longest. And I put some coffee down to the man and went outside and called Bill and told Bill the story. 
And I said, we don't know what in the world to do. He needs all kinds of help. And Bill listened for a few, just was quiet for a few moments, and then he said, did you say this man was a drunk? I said, oh, yes, we can all tell that instantly. Bill said, well, I think that's the only question we have any right to ask. Sorry to say, I don't know what happened to the man. Someone else took over the desk later, and I never saw him again. But let's hope you made it somewhere. It was my job during the 1973 and 74 General Service Conferences to write the conference report. And those were the two years in which the question of listing gay and lesbian groups arose. They came up, that came about because of pressure from some wonderful people from Southern California. All kinds of wonderful things come out of Southern California. <laughs> they wanted to list themselves as gay groups or lesbian groups, and the General Service Office, of course, has a very ticklish job. They really should not do anything very much that hasn't been done before without direction from the General Service Conference. And so they took the question to the General Service Conference. And it was debated in 1973 at some hot length. And finally, the chairman, getting very smart, said, I think we'll table the question until next year. <laughs> but that put it on the agenda for next year, so everybody knew it had to come up and be settled the next year. At the General Service Conference, and if you don't know what the conference is, ask your sponsor. Uh, <laughs> The conference has absolutely no power over any of us, not one bit. It has the power of example, it has some moral authority, but that's all. And the conference likes, does not like to do anything by halves or even by bare majorities. The conference proceeds generally along the lines of almost complete unanimity. So in 1974, the question went back and forth, back and forth for two days and two nights. Much of the agenda was wiped out. I remember one man saying, well, if you um, are going to list the sex deviants, I guess next, next year you'll list the rapists. And I heard another person say something about, well, <clears throat> if we're going to get this kind of deviant in AA, what, else, what other kind of deviant are you going to want to list? The delegate from one of the northern states, or perhaps from a, can a Canadian province, I'm not sure, was a delightful woman, about three feet tall, and she... <laughs> She went to one of the middle microphones out here on the floor and pulled it down to her mouth and said, Where I come from, alcoholics are considered devious. <laughs> the debate went on, but when the vote finally came that night, only two people voted against listing those groups. It was almost unanimous. I think it was 129 to 2. And after that, something even better happened. Someone arose and offered this resolution. It is the sense of the conference that no AA group anywhere should ever turn away any member at his first meeting. And that took in all of us. The conference drew a circle bigger in order to include us all. 
I've also had the fun of getting to write some things for it. I've been hired to write some things. One of the things I got to write was a, um, uh, a book called Living Sober. And um, I want you to... No, no, you should have seen it before they edited it. <laughs> One of my favorite sentences was cut out. Only because the editor didn't know what it meant. It said something like, cruising along, looking for love in all the wrong places. <clears throat> but I think you'll find some things between the lines if you look hard enough. <clears throat> and then in 1976, the, job came, the, uh, the conference came up with the, the, uh, another bit of pressure. We must have separate pamphlets for every kind of minority group. We must have a pamphlet for blacks. We must have a pamphlet for uh, Native Americans. We must have a pamphlet for um, uh, old people, for young people, for gay people, for lesbians, for uh, uh, everything. And as a matter of fact, one of the members of the Literature Committee of the conference that year said, we also should have a pamphlet for illiterates. <laughs> Our fellowship is very broad. <laughs> I never did find out what language he thought we should write well anyhow. Um, at any rate, they said, now we have to hire somebody to write the pamphlet. And I said, I've been collecting the stories for years. And so we wrote, do you think you're different? And um, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> it picks out no single minority, but speaks about several minorities. I think this brings up, for me, the fact that the third tradition passes on to us an awesome responsibility. First of all, we must remember the tradition that says AA should not be involved in any controversial matter. And let us face it, sexual orientation on North, in North America is very much a controversial matter. It is not appropriate for our age to become political on that issue, from, in my opinion. We also have the problem of another tradition, that is the anonymity tradition. Because we have two kinds of anonymity to protect. Certainly, at an ordinary AA meeting, I have no right going outside and telling anybody, guess what movie star showed up at this meeting. I have no right to do that if I respect the traditions. I think I would be betraying the whole fellowship if I did that. I certainly have no right to go to a gay meeting and then go outside and say, guess who turned up at a gay meeting last night? As a double anonymity there. And finally, of course, there's that third tradition. And it puzzles me and embarrasses me. Because for all I know, the next drunk that walks in the door deserves the same love that I got, and you all you got. And it might be a former Miss America. Or it might be a TV evangelist. Or it might be a California legislator. I'm not sure I've learned enough about loving yet. <clears throat> but they deserve it, just as we, did, as, just as, as we got it. Now, one more, for one more minute, take one more minute. 
read what I think is an even earlier charter to have this kind of meaning. In the big book on page 12, you will find a section that begins, despite the living example, I'm not a big book scholar, I don't know a lot about the big book, but I happen to have in my possession the printer's manuscript. It's just in my keeping, out of my possession. And uh, looking through the old manuscript one day, it goes to a, a, a archive upon my demise, um, I happened to find on the flyleaf some unfamiliar writing, a pencil. And I looked, and these were familiar words, but the right handwriting is not familiar. It wasn't Bill's handwriting. And I went back to Nell, our old archivist, and uh, we began to run this down. And she said, that's Hank P's writing. That's Hank's writing. You know, one time Bill was telling his story, and he uh, told this part of his story, and had forgot to put this in the typed manuscript. And when Hank heard it, Hank was a marvelous promoter. We wouldn't have had the big book if it hadn't been for Hank. Hank even sold stock in our non-existent company <clears throat> to get our book going. <clears throat> and bless his heart, he wrote this down and told the printer, put it in, put it, told him where to put it in. Now, it's written in abbreviations and very hard to read, but I want you to hear it and think about this. Despite the living example of my friend, this is, uh, this, uh, incidentally, this is the time that Ebby came to see Bill in Brooklyn Heights. Bill was quite drunk that morning on gin and on self-pity. And um, Ebby, his old drunken friend, came to see him sober, which is disgusting. And um, he said he'd found religion. And Bill said, oh, Lord, what kind? What brand? We thought in brands, you know. Um <laughs> And he said, well, I don't think it's any particular brand. We just have six ideas, some fellows, and uh, they seem to keep me sober. And Bill thought, well, that's all very well for him, but what about poor me? And here's what Bill, Bill wrote, or said that night, and was written down. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such a concept as creative intellect or universal mind or spirit of nature, but I re rejected the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked to scores of men who felt the same way. My friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, and you will find this in italics, why don't you choose your own conception of God? Bill said, that statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountains in whose shadows I had lived and shivered for many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Well, of course I would. I know I'm not the only A member who, from time to time, young or old, new or sober many years, from time to time has a bad day or wakes up in the middle of the night sobbing and doesn't know why. We all have those days. And I 
wonder if maybe it would be a good idea to ask myself at that time, how big is my conception of God? Let me ask it this way in behalf of all of us. Is your conception of God powerful enough? Is it forgiving enough? Is it beautiful enough? Is it loving enough? If it has limitations, they're the limitations we put there because it's our own conception. I pray for all of us that that power is big enough. So what did you think about that? I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I would love to hear your feedback. Uh, feel free to rate me at john, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. And just in case you didn't hear the intro of this particular episode, keep in mind that Barry L. actually passed away three weeks after giving that talk. God bless him. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. And by the way, I want to mention this. You may notice, at least the last few weeks here, I've been ending the episodes with a little music, uh, and the music is just a little snippet. It's a, the slogans of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just want to make sure that everybody knows uh, that this was written by, uh, or, not, uh, or composed by, is that how you say that? Uh, by a gentleman named Robert Lefevre. Uh, and he is from across the pond, and I'm so thankful for him to do it. And a gentleman named Kamal is the one who actually sends those mm, snippets over so we can share it with you guys, and I really appreciate that. Now, on to a little bit of uh, listener feedback. JD writes in, and just in case you didn't, just in case you said JD, haven't I heard from JD already on this episode already? Well, yes, you were correct. So JD wrote in after I actually recorded the intro to this episode here, and I had mentioned to you that I had uh, met JD during our yoga recovery meeting, and JD said this, John. Thank you so much for the public invitation to join Megan P's Recovery Yoga Meeting. And by the way, just so you know, if you're interested in it as well, as a reminder, you can go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and just click on the Sober Resources tab, and we have that yoga recovery meeting every Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. Central. But anyway, JD says, it was refreshing to have that mental, quote, reset unquote, before closing out my weekend and preparing for the upcoming work week. I cannot agree more, JD. I, I completely get it. He said, I'm looking forward to joining on a regular basis as I have recently taking a, taken up a normal routine of vinyasa yoga and paranyama, oh God, how do you pronounce this? Paranyama, I think is how you say it, breath work, and Megan's combination of recovery meditation just makes perfect sense. That 
is well said, J.D. And J.D. goes on, like I shared in the meeting, I understand quite early, I understood quite early on the benefits of working step 11 on a regular basis. Inviting God into my daily routines first thing in the morning has made all the difference in my recovery. And the quote, pause, unquote, we speak of meditating to receive the intuition out of out higher power gives to me, gives me the ability to navigate my day in a way that places emphasis on his will for me. And then he also talked about this in the meeting. I'm sure he won't mind me sharing it since we have it uh, here in a public forum. And he wrote in, it is in, he talked about the three P's, which I had never heard before. Pause, pray, proceed. I'm going to repeat that. From J.D. in St. Augustine, Florida, he says, pause, pray, proceed. Those are the three P's. He said, it was, it was such a pleasure to hear you share and talk with you briefly after the meeting. I look forward to many more podcast episodes and many more recovery yoga meetings. Thanks for all your service. Respectfully, J.D. in St. Augustine, Florida. And then he says, P.S. I'm not sure where my comments about the sorcerers and magicians <laughs> come from, but I'm thrilled that someone was listening to me laugh out loud. Well, yes, sir, Mr. J.D., I was listening to you, and I thought it was just fantastic. Thanks for sharing that during our time together. So, okay, I know I'm going to mess up this name. Here, I'm going to spell it first, and then I'm going to say it. S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Sayobahan writes in and she says, Hi, John. My name is Sayobahan. I'm a 43-year-old Sydney woman. Sydney, Australia, that is. Good day, Miss I'm so sorry. Uh, Sayobahan. Anyway, good day, Sayobahan. And she says, I'm a 43-year-old Sydney woman who is a member of AA, and my sobriety date is the 20th of November, 2016. Hope all of you are doing well there in the USA, considering the current climate globally with a heart. <laughs> yeah, we're... we're we're hanging in there. I try not to go down that path here on a uh, uh, an AA podcast, but but thank you for uh, for being concerned about us. Anyway, she says I have been listening to your podcast for at least a year now, and I love getting up on Saturday morning to listen to the guest speaker, especially Bill C, who shared at my home group. Balcom Hills, B-A-U-L-K-H-A-M, Balcom Hills, I bet, a few years ago when he was out here for a Sydney AA conference. I also love Buddy C, and I've downloaded his meditation app, which I discovered existed listening to your podcast. I always struggle with meditation, but now, because of this app, I meditate every morning. Well, most mornings. <laughs> and just in case you're wondering what she's talking about there, uh, and you haven't listened to the episode before, my friend Buddy C has an, an app. It's called Sober Meditations. And if you go to either Google Play Store and or iTunes, you can download the app, and it is... 
you have five-minute meditations, 10-minute meditations, 20-minute meditations uh, about all the steps and other subjects, and you can listen to them uh, at any time of the day or night. And I also listen to it on a very consistent basis. I use that with a couple of others. I kind of mix them in there, and I do meditation every day. But uh, uh, that app that Buddy C put out is absolutely fantastic. Anyway, back to Sayo Bahan, and she says, uh, I just wanted to let you know your recordings, especially over COVID, has opened my recovery in so many ways. I even subscribed to Bill C's daily emails, and the other day bought Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Yes, I'm so glad you got that. Bill C., just so you know, talks about Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now, and I have also bought it myself uh, because of Bill C.'s... Uh, he didn't really recommend it, recommend it. He just says he uses it, and, and I wanted to get it as well. Anyway, she says, I would also love to be a member of your secret Facebook group, John. I, when I first walk into, work, walked into AA... Nearly five years ago, I did not think I'd be ma- emailing a guy from America on Saturday night asking to be part <laughs> of a secret AA Facebook page. But hey, I didn't think I'd be sober or even alive. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And she says, thank you for all the experience, strength, and hope you bring to my ears every week. Sayo Bahan XX. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you writing in. And I hope I didn't butcher your name too bad. Hopefully I was fairly close. Thank you so much for writing in, Sayo Bahan. Emily posts in the super secret Facebook group. So Emily says here, uh, I'm a I'm an alcoholic, uh, and I also attend ACOA, and I've been doing that since twelve thirty one of two thousand eighteen. And then she goes on and says, "Wavy Gravy, <laughs> the merry prankster, MC, hippie icon, often introduces himself among other things as a quote temple." of accumulated error, unquote. That phrase always sticks with me, and I think it's the perfect way to picture my own understanding of God. The definition of God was often a stumbling block for me and kept me out of AA for a long time. As a kid, it was explained to me that, quote, your body is a temple, unquote, meant that you could commune with God anywhere and not just a brick and mortar holy place. That made sense, but soon it became intertwined with the, quote, or, or in capital letters, the purity culture. And I began to understand that maybe other people were temples, but not me. My own mind and body never felt safe or sacred. The church went on to hurt me in so many ways. I couldn't glean truth from the fiction or manipulation anymore. My body felt like a like the complete opposite of a temple. It felt more like a back alley or a bar ditch. A, quote, temple of accumulated error is now what my sober body and brain feels like. 
I learned every lesson the hard way, some more than once. Some of my favorite lyrics were, yes, I am wise, but is wisdom born of pain? Oh, I know that song. I, hold on. Yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Oh, yes, I paid the price, but look how much I've gained. Now, how, why am I doing uh, Elvis in the middle of that? It's a Helen Reddy song. But look how much I've gained. If I had to, I could face anything. I am John M. Just kidding. I am woman. So I, I know that song because I was raised by a single mom and I grew up with an aunt and a grandma and there wasn't much of a male presence in the house. And I had I heard that, that song, I am woman, over and over and over. Nonetheless, uh, I, 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 I digress. I'm so sorry there, uh, Miss Emily. And then we, and she says, the accumulated errors have finally amounted to something. And now I do feel like a temple, not a pure place, maybe not holy, but yes, a place where I can and do safely commune with God as I understand them. Under the roof of all my errors, and quote, my temple, my temple of accumulated errors. Well, I do not believe, Miss Emily, we have ever quoted Wavy Gravy on the podcast before. And I'm so glad that you posted that in the secret Facebook group. I absolutely love seeing that. And I wanted to make sure that we read that for all the listeners. Mel writes in and Mel says, hello, John, I listen to your podcast Every, in big capital letters, day, and I benefit from them all. I am 47 days sober and am already feeling some freedom from the bondage of self. I am trying to listen to all of your podcasts to get caught up. The things that are keeping me sober is your podcast and my sponsor. I talk to her twice daily, and it's funny because the thing that I always bring to the table to talk about gets re routed by, by my sponsor into what I need to talk about. I find the process amazing and magical at the same time. I use your podcast to fill the time between meetings and meetings with my sponsor right now because I think I need that amount of intensity. You and your show are listed on my gratitude list. Well, thank you, Mel. And uh, oh, as you and your platform has become one of the tools in my toolbox. I can't thank you enough for following where your higher power led you. It is really meeting a special need in our community of recovery. I love you, brother, in recovery and wish you further success. Thanks, Mel. Well, love back at you, Mel. And this is a we thing. We're doing this all together. So if I'm succeeding, you're succeeding. And I thank you so much for listening. All right, everybody. So that wraps up another week. Remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip. But we would love to sh- that for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So pause your device and click that little share button and get it over to them. God bless you all. Here is another daily slogan from AA by once again, Mr. Robert Lefevre and supplied to us by Mr. Kamal. And uh, anyway, that's it. 
We're done with another week. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I always say I'm kind of one week at a time here. Hopefully I can make it back next week. God bless you all. Ding, 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 ding.